Well, we're in the second week of our series, Accidental Pharisee, based on a book written by Larry Osborne. And if you've been in church for a while, you know that term Pharisee. Some of you haven't been in church, but if you've been in church, you know that term Pharisee. When it's said, when you hear about a Pharisee, you know that Pharisees didn't have a very good reputation. They were essentially enemies of Jesus, and they were enemies to Jesus' kingdom initiatives. In fact, they ended up opposing Jesus at every turn, and ultimately they were a part of the, you know, the, the, the cabal, if you will, to arrest, try, convict, and eventually crucify Jesus. But what we discovered last week is that the average Jewish person who lived back during the time of Jesus, they had nothing but mad respect for the Pharisees. Now, why is that? Because they knew the Pharisees to be people who were the, the most you know, uh, uh, committed to God. They knew the Pharisees to be the ones who were most passionate about God. They were most passionate about the ways of God and the laws of God and following those ways and laws. They were the ones who would pray more than anybody. They were the ones who would fast more than anybody and tithe more than anybody. They were the ones who, man, they did everything they could to abstain from sinful behaviors more so than anybody else. And we kind of kicked this off reminding us of that because as Larry Osborne said, if you and I fail to recognize how spiritually impressive the Pharisees were, if we don't realize that, then you and I, we will remain blind to the dangers of becoming like them. So how is it that those who are most passionate for God how is it that those who are most committed to God, how did they stand, end up standing against and opposing everything that Jesus stood for? How did they end up you know, being enemies of Jesus? How were godly people against God? Well, we've said it happened accidentally. It didn't happen on purpose. It was never their intention to oppose God. They never intended to become what they became. And in your life and my life, we too are in that same danger. We are in danger of becoming accidental Pharisees. And you and I can accidentally find ourselves in our lives accidentally standing in opposition to the priorities of God, to the values of God, and even standing in opposition to the very heart of God. So what we want to do in this series is we all want to come humbly before God. And we want to ask God, and we want to pray, and we want to say before God, God, expose in me the areas in which I've accidentally become a Pharisee. God, expose in me the areas that I've accidentally stood in opposition to your priorities, to your values, and to your heart. That's the goal in this series, that we're all coming before God and asking that question and allowing God to open our hearts and minds and speak to us in this. Like the Pharisees, I know, or at least I suspect, <coughs> that you have a desire to please God, right? I mean, I, have a, I suspect you have a desire to be deeply committed to God, to passionately pursuing God. But as we talked about last week, our passionate pursuits can also have a dark side. In fact, it doesn't even have to be spiritual issues. Your passionate pursuit of anything can have a dark side. In fact, for me, one of the things that I'm passionate about 
is saving money, saving a buck in any way that I can, in any situation that I can. I'm passionate about that. In fact, if you're like me and it's like finding the deal and getting the deal and making the deal and saving a buck however you can, if that's like something you're passionate about, raise your hand. Okay, so there's a bunch of us in here. So you understand this. Well, what you also might understand is your passionate pursuits of getting a good deal and saving money can at times get you hurt or hurt others. So let me explain my passionate pursuits and where it's been leading me the last few days. I want to tell you a story about pool saga, pool light saga phase two. Chapter 2. If you were here last summer, you heard a little bit about this. If you're new or newer and you weren't here, I'll bring you up to speed. Last summer, I tried to change out my pool light. In my passions uh, to do something to save a buck, I kind of have a motto when it comes to doing things, fixing things, all that. My motto is, how hard can it be? That motto got me in trouble when I watched a YouTube video on how to ride a motorcycle and went riding with people the next day and I ran, and I ran into a tree and crashed three times. So sometimes it gets me into trouble. And so I, I'm like, how hard can it be to fix a pool light? How many people does it take to fix a light? Okay, no, no, it's not. A... So last summer I tried to do that and it didn't work out and then I tried to fix it again. And, and, and so that's where we kind of left it last year and all of you were saying, emailing me, giving me suggestions, all this kind of stuff. Hire someone, hire someone, hire someone. Are you crazy? You know how much they charge? And so I'm like, I can do it myself. How hard can it be? It didn't work. Light exploded uh, inside the canister, filled up with water. And I was like, oh, good grief. I, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll deal with it next summer. It's now next summer. A year later, it's full of water, exploded light, and it's full of water that's been sitting in there for a year and all that kind of stuff. So needless to say, it's now green water, full of rust inside. Turn off the breaker, which some of you are like, praise Jesus, he did that. <laughs> Come on, I, how hard could it be? I turn off the breaker. I go to release the light, pull it up, bring it up on the deck, open it up, pour out the green water. It's rusted like you wouldn't believe in there. I'm like, okay, I'm going to fix this light. I'm not going to do a whole housing light assembly replacement. It's too much money. So I go to fix it, clean it out, dry it out. Um, it doesn't really look good in there. The, the, the contacts are all rusted. I'm like, well, just get some sandpaper and smooth it all out, right? I mean, that sounds, that, that makes sense, right? So I'm smoothing it out. I go grab a bulb. I'm like, I'm not going to spend all that money because I'm trying to save a deal on a bulb from a pool store because it might explode. So I'm just going to try a regular bulb from the house. What? <laughs> Is that wrong, Nate? Is that so bad? David's over there like, so I'm like, okay, it's the same kind of bulb, but I'm doing it outside of the water. Let me just test it. Screw it in go to flip the breaker, um, turn the light on, nothing. Oh man, what's going on here? Nothing. So then I go to the GFI, I trip that, make sure that's working, yada, yada, yada. Long story short, that doesn't work. I grab the real pool bulb, put it in, nothing's happening. I go sand it a little more. I'm like passionate about saving money. I can do this myself. How hard going to be? Go back to the breaker, pushing the breaker on and off, tripping the GFI. I, I jump ahead. It didn't work. How do I know? Well, the GFI now, I can no longer reset. It won't push in. Something happened. How do I know? Because it no longer resets. There was a little fizz 
followed by a smell. <laughs> so I'm now out of luck. I'm like, oh man, what am I going to do? So I'm like, I'm not, so I call up a pool place. How am I, I call up multiple places, fix a GFI, whole light assembly. I obviously got a short somewhere. You know, it's definitely not the user. And so, um, <laughs> so I'm starting to get the quotes. Are you kidding me? Really? For, for a plug, I changed all my plugs last summer in my house. You're going to charge me that? I changed them in my house and most of them are still working. Why in the world would I... So, yesterday I spent all day watching YouTube, changing a pool light. I'm like, this is not that hard, you know? You cut, you pull, you tie together, you pull, get someone on the other end. You know, I'm like, man, I'm going to save a lot of money. So I go to bed. I'm like, well, today's Father's Day. I'll get my kids involved, and this is what we're going to do for Father's Day. <laughs> what? I had a dream last night. Had a dream. <laughs> this is a true story. And in my passion to save money and install this light myself, in the dream, I had st about 50 students over swimming. It's a true story. All my kids, they have youth group, people are over all the time, and they're all in the pool. And Callie says, Dad, turn on the new light. And I run out there, I'm so excited. And I hit the button. I don't even need to say the words next in the dream. Next day in the newspaper, it says, pastor electrocutes 50 students in mass killing. That was my dream, I'm not kidding, that was my dream. So I woke up saying to myself, like, so like, today started terrible, happy Father's Day to me. And I woke up and I actually said, God, was that from you? <laughs> so, Pool Light Saga Chapter 3, I'll tell you next week. Our passions can have a dark side. All of our passions. And last week we said that the Pharisees, in their spiritual passion for God, the dark side of that is that our passion for God can drown out our compassion for others. Our passion can go, for God can cause us to not have the compassion that God's called us to have towards others. But today I want to look at another dark side to our spiritual passions. And another dark side of your spiritual passion for God and your commitment to God and your love for God is that we can end up sending a message that God's grace is only available to those we who deserve it. In our desire to be passionate for God, we can send a message accidentally that the grace of God is only available to those who deserve it or we think deserve it. And you need to understand that that's what destroys our witness to the world. That's what destroys the reputation of Christians and Christianity more than anything else. That we accidentally send a message that God's grace is only available to those we think deserve it. There's a story in the Bible, some of you might know it, some of you may not know it. And in this story, we discovered that the Pharisees did not think that a woman who was caught in adultery in, in John chapter 9, they did not think she was worthy of God's grace. 
If you don't know the story, they bring this woman who is caught in the very act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus because the Bible tells us they want to test Jesus. They're trying to trick Jesus in the situation on what should happen. They weren't interested in demonstrating grace towards her being caught in sin. And in fact, it's very interesting, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about the man in the story. I mean, they just let the guy go. They were using her. They didn't care about her. They were trying to trap Jesus. Jesus ends the story saying to the woman, I don't condemn you. You're free to go. All I ask is you don't keep sinning that way anymore. But you're free. God certainly hates sin. But passionately pursuing God and holiness without you and I knowing and having this profound experience of grace that he has given to us, if you're not experiencing that grace in your own life, it can lead us to accidentally having a life that is filled with hypocrisy and doctrinal cruelty in the way we treat others, like was seen with the Pharisees. We learn in that story of the woman caught in the very act of adultery that God's grace that he gives to us is unmerited. God grants the grace to us anyways. Anyway. But slowly, 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 these spiritual leaders, these Bible scholars, they found themselves in a place and in a zone where they would only give God's grace to those that they thought deserved it. And so they were angry at Jesus because Jesus came along and was offering grace to everyone. Jesus was saying, all are welcome. All can come to me, including those who are caught in the very act of sin. We learned something very interesting in scripture in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. It says this, there are six things the Lord what? What's the word? There are six things the Lord hates. Six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. And I'm always like, whoa, whoa, wait, God, is it six or seven? <laughs> you know, I'm always a little confused by this passage. Is it six or seven? Regardless, what's the first thing on the list that the Lord hates? Verse 17, haughty eyes. Now, haughty eyes isn't necessarily a word you and I are using today. So what does it mean? Haughty eyes, the thing that the Lord hates, the first thing on the list, haughty eyes, it's an arrogant demeanor by which we look down on others. Haughty eyes simply means I'm looking for what's wrong with you rather than what's right. I'm looking for the, the bad in you rather than trying to see the good in you. Haughty eyes means that when I've overcome something that you haven't overcome yet, I'm looking down on you. I'm looking at you like, how come you can't figure it out? How come you haven't? You've been dealing with that too long. Haughty eyes means when I know something that you don't know, or I'm at a place of having some special knowledge or insight or I've grown, or I think you're basically an idiot, I'm looking down on you. Haughty eyes is the sense of superiority. And the Lord says it's the number one thing I hate, the sense of arrogance. If you want just a simple definition, it's really pride. Pride that says, I am better than you. I'm further along than you. I know more than you. I don't deal with that anymore like you do. Uh, after the first service, someone texted me this. I, I thought it was great. Uh, a quote by uh, Matt Semthurst. 
And he said this, an immature Christian has a PhD in others' sins and a GED in their own. We're seeing, we're dialed in with other people's issues and missing it in ourselves because we're looking down on others. And so the result of our pride, the result of the Pharisees' pride is they couldn't offer God's grace to those who they felt were undeserving. Pride was the hallmark trait of the Pharisees. And so Jesus had to confront this constantly with them. Again, Proverbs 6, the number one thing God hates is pride, haughty eyes looking down on others. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18? Luke chapter 18, it's a long passage, I want to read it together. Luke chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 9. Luke 18, in verse 9, and we're going to say a couple words together. Uh, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and what? What did these who were confident in their own righteousness, what did they do? They, in their own righteousness and they what? And they, they looked down on everybody else. Haughty eyes, right? Jesus told this parable. Two men were up at the temple to pray. Who was one of them in the parable? One was a... Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood off by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Which kind of people? Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I wonder if this Pharisee was the person who prayed this right before bringing the adulterer to Jesus in John 8. I thank God that I'm not like these other people. In other words, grace is available to me, God. Your grace is for me, but not for these other people. The Pharisee continues the prayer, verse 12. And you see how they were spiritual giants. They really were. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. I mean, they talk about discipline and, and really trying to follow the laws of God, verse 13. But the tax collector stood off at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his his breast, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, what's the conclusion of the parable? Notice what Jesus says in verse 14. I tell you that this man, meaning the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, the tax collector went home justified before God. Why? Because all those who exalt themselves like the Pharisee will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Larry Osborne author of the book Accidental Pharisees, said to a, a group of pastors, there's a small handful of us spending some time with them, and he said this, he said to us, he said, one of the things I tell our church, and he says, I, I kind of do it a little bit regularly to kind of make sure people understand the point. He says this to his church, God would rather have you struggling with porn than struggle with pride. That got some attention, didn't it? God would rather have you struggle with porn than struggle with pride. Now, no, 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 he's not pro-porn. He's simply saying, when God has a list of things that God hates, when God has that list of things he hates the most in our hearts and lives, it's when our eyes are taken off Jesus and we start seeing what's wrong with other people. We start seeing their issues and their wrongs and their shortcomings or their lack of. 
It's when we look down on others, thus elevating our own status and goodness, and that's pride, and it's the number one thing that God hates. So we have to ask the question, how? How does pride or haughty eyes show up in us, in the church? How does it show up outside the church? How does it show up? Well, one of the ways it shows up is how we view people. When we view those who aren't like us, if we view them as them, they, those people, and that leads to a place where we almost see them as enemies rather than realizing they're not our enemies, they're our mission. They, like us, need the love and grace of God, whoever those people are for you. You see, the Bible is telling us, Jesus is telling us, God is telling us that God's grace is available to all people. Do you believe that? God's grace is available to all people. Do you believe that? Is that, let me say it another way, I want to hear an amen if you believe it. Do you believe that God's grace is available to all people? Amen, Amen, right? Now I tricked you a little bit there trying to get you to say amen. Because we might say amen, but then we turn around like the Pharisees and say, well, it's available to all people if they change first, if they clean up first. You're welcome here if you clean up before you come in here. See, I'm wondering, could we at LifePoint hang a sign over our door, as does Central Christian Church in Las Vegas, an incredible church, a sign that says it's okay to not be okay? We have a new person at our church now who actually came from that church, and I was, met him last week, and I even told him, I was like, that's funny, you're here, I'm using a quote from them. It's okay to not be okay. Could that be said here at LifePoint? Or to say it another way, could anyone walk through our doors and be welcomed here? I know that's what I want. I know maybe that's what you want. You know, you're like, of course, of course anybody's welcome. But I just have to ask the question of myself. Is anyone really welcome here? Is it okay to not be okay and come through our doors? And I'm not so sure. And I suspect it's primarily because we flirted with being accidental Pharisees. Of the dozen or so books I've read in the last six months, the one that has been the most impactful, truly thought-provoking, and led to the most discussions is a book called Messy Grace by Caleb Kaltenbach. Messy Grace. His subtitle of his book, you ready for the subtitle? Is how a pastor, this is talking about himself, how a pastor with gay parents learned to love others without sacrificing conviction. It's actually a book I would highly recommend that every single person here read. In fact, we might have Caleb come speak here later in the year here at LifePoint. Accidental Pharisees expect people to change before they can receive God's grace and be a Jesus followers. See, an accidental Pharisee actually has it all backwards. And so what Caleb does is he does a great job of getting us to ask questions of ourselves to get us to start to think. Because again, I ask you, could anybody walk through our doors and be welcomed here? Is God's grace really available to all? 
Caleb asked that question in the context of what his book's about, and so he asked some very specific questions. For example, he asked these series of questions. You right? Here's the questions. First, he asked of us, would you allow a same-sex couple to attend your church? What would your reaction be if two men were holding hands in the lobby of your building? Could a lesbian couple attend a parenting class you're putting on? Could an LGBT couple attend a life group or serve in the church or go on a mission trip or be baptized or be a member? And about 12 other really hard, thought-provoking questions. Caleb is trying to get us to think about whether God's grace is available to all people or is it only available to people if they change? As Caleb talks about grace and how True grace, as he says, is more messy than we realize. It's not as clean as the Pharisees wanted it. He finished off those series of questions suggesting that if God's grace is truly available to all people, then the church needs to be a place where we can belong before we believe. The church needs to be a place where we can belong before we believe all the right things or before we have behaved the right way. Or to ask it another way, is LifePoint a hospital for sinners or is it a hotel for saints? What's the point? God says, man, I hate pride. I hate when we look down on others because I want my grace to be available to all people. And whatever our passion of pursuit of Jesus, whenever it results in us writing somebody off or shooing them away or dismissing the very people God's called us to reach, then we're in accidental Pharisee territory. And whether it's those who we think are lagging behind or maybe somebody who's just not dialed in the same that we are or maybe it's someone who's a little different than I am or whatever it is, when we limit God's grace, we're in accidental Pharisee territory and we accidentally stand in opposition to the very heart of God for all people. In fact, let me explore this a different way by asking a different question. It's a, que- it's a great question, kind of in your small groups, discuss further. Do you think Jesus came to raise the bar? Let me just think about it for a second. Do you think Jesus came to raise the bar? In other words, did Jesus come to weed out people not good enough or doctrinally pure enough or not like us enough? Is that why he came? I think we know the answer, right? Jesus came for the struggling, for the hurting, for the fallen behind people, maybe those who are messed up or imperfect, who are still trying to figure out. He came for Christians even who are still struggling. Accidental Pharisees forgot that because they're more concerned. They were more concerned about being separate and raising the bar and about setting standards that it made it more likely that people would not be attracted to Jesus, but people would be repelled by Jesus. Anytime you find yourself having a knee-jerk reaction or response to others of disgust or disdain or aversion to others, Man, we're in accidental Pharisee territory. It's the pathway to pride. And so I want to ask you this question as we get ready to wrap it up. Luke chapter 18, verse 11 in that story. Who's on your God? I thank you that I'm not like them list. Who's on your, thank God I'm not like them list. 
Whatever you're passionate about, it doesn't even have to be a spiritual topic, but whatever you're passionate about, chances are that people who are not dialed into your passions are on your thank God I'm not like them list. You might be here this morning and one of the things you are most passionate about is adoption. Or maybe uh, caring for orphans or widows or the homeless. And you look at others who aren't, and you say, thank God I'm not like those uncaring, uncompassionate Christians. You might, it doesn't matter what it is, you might be passionate about recycling or being vegan or or going green or forks over knives. And your struggle is with those not like you. And so your temptation will be to write those people off, them as uninformed, selfish, cold-hearted, killer, whatever term you'll use, you might look down upon those who don't study the Bible enough, who don't pray enough, who don't have the dialed-in theology like yours enough, who don't give enough. Or maybe you look down on others who aren't as spirit-led as you or aren't as missional as you, or gospel-centered as you, or whatever the current buzzword is in Christianity. Or maybe you look down upon those who are for open borders, or closed borders. Health care for all. Health care for only those who pay, who are legal. Democrat, Republican, whatever it is for you, in your passion... You and me, we will be tempted to look down on others who are not passionate in the same way and we'll find ourselves saying, thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm a little more enlightened. I'm a little more sensitive. I'm a little more knowledgeable. Whatever the case may be. And church, you need to understand that's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous path. God says, that's haughty eyes, and that's the number one thing I hate. So it's, it's time. It's time for you. It's time for me to destroy our list. God's grace is available to all people. So let's make intentional efforts to connect with those not like us. Now, of course, by no means am I advocating easy or soft Christianity. In fact, I heard it stated this way. Grace, mercy, compassion towards the lost does not soften the law or the gospel. It softens the sinner. In other words, grace and compassion and love and mercy shows that God will receive all people with open arms if we'll turn to Him. So, life point. Let's not be accidental Pharisees. Let's be true to the heart of the gospel, which is offering hope, offering grace and love to those who desperately need it, to to the weak, to the weary, to the heavy laden. What did Jesus say? I came to give you rest for your souls. I didn't come to judge you, condemn you. I came to give you rest. I came to have you take on my yoke. It's easy, it's light. I came to give you life to the fullest in me, in Jesus Christ. I offer you my grace. 
And we say amen when Jesus offers it. And I'm asking us, are we willing to offer it as well? Because if we're not, we're heading down the path of being an accidental Pharisee.